0: Thank To season three, episode 22 of History's Greatest Idiots, the show where we take you back through all of human history and give you uh, mistakes that people have made so you can learn lessons from their mistakes and never repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We like making mistakes. And boy, has there been a lot made by a number of different people recently. Goodness me. Joining me as ever is my amazing co host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, my man?
1: Doing great. I think. I don't know. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> Are those words, do they go together? Yes.
0: <laughs> that that works. We're also uh, automat- uh, straight away joined by Toastoid, who uh, must be watching an advert on Twitch because it just says, I do not care, Chevron, High Lev, and Other. So that's that's a bit like the, the Wrexham ownership thing where it's it's Ryan Reynolds and the other guy. But it's Derek. You know Derek. You, you've been watching us for a year. It's, it's fine. I'm
1: okay with being Other other
0: lev and friend um so how are things over in arizona things kind of um i'm trying to remember so we've had halloween uh and we're gearing up for christmas now Uh,
1: yeah uh, you guys done
0: thanksgiving is that been and gone
1: nope that's coming let's see looking at the calendar here um to neck next week
0: next week okay and uh, what normally happens for uh, for thanksgiving in your household
1: um it it's really kind of up in the air the right. my my in-laws have a, a large family so mm-hmm. we travel travel around this year it's kind of far away but still in the same state okay um, so we'll be going far away but still in the same state so it's a long day trip
0: yeah, sounds like it, man. And that's and that's just something that in the UK, I'm not sure I can really kind of fully understand because if you have a long day trip in the UK, you can cover three countries. You can cover, you know, Wales, England, and Scotland if you want to in a long day trip. But you know, in in the states, it's kind of you know you can stay in one state and and be completely exhausted. That's really unique. It's
1: kind of yeah. Well, and like California, especially. like You yes. can drive for like 10 hours and still be in California.
0: That's that's true. Or <laughs> Texas. Like yeah. Texas, you could be driving for days. And, oh. and I'd never get out of the state, despite the fact you desperately want to. Um, anyway, so um, <laughs> <laughs> while well, we've got you here, um, Toastazoid says we uh, usually have a small Thanksgiving with mom, brother, uncle, and grandparents. That's nice. I think yeah. I'd like that. Yeah.
1: I would like that, too. Not mm. that I don't like hanging out with the larger sure. family, but my wife's side of the family is large enough as it is with right. the the her siblings all having children, lots of them now. Sure. It's a large mm. family unit there. And when yeah. you add in her mother's sisters and brothers and their kids and their kids' mm. grandkids, it's like, holy crap, it's like a family reunion.
0: Yeah. And actually, I would really struggle in that environment because I'm not a huge fan of large crowds for a long period of time. So I would literally find a corner and set up like a nest and just kind of hang out there. Um, I would be sociable, but like I'd have a place to retreat to and possibly even nap if I needed to. So
1: it, yeah, it's it, with the way I am, it's the same thing. And now that mm-hmm. I have, uh, now that I'm sober it's way more difficult to get over the social anxiety and dealing yeah. with large crowds. And sure. I'm not real familiar with a lot of the extended family that's going to be there. Right. And yeah, without being able to dull my senses, it's, it's really difficult.
0: Yeah, I get that. I think um, just, you know, talk to your wife and come to some sort of like arrangement where you're like, hey, you know, I might need to retreat just for like half an hour, an hour, just to like recharge my batteries. I'm like that. And um, you might feel better in the long run. Um, so just a quick thing before we move on, uh, we should probably talk about our wonderful patrons. So I want to give a big shout out to our OG Patreon, Jesse Christ, our uh, second patron, Kimberly Johnson, and Andrew Zavara, all of whom have stuck with us through thick and thing. Uh, Kimberly, uh, I know we had a bit of an issue with your present which was really messed up when it arrived from Patreon. Cheers, Patreon. Thanks for fulfilling that order. Um, I'm going to discuss something with Derek, and we're going to send you like a little thank you as, uh, you know, we're very sorry that Patreon screwed up your order. So we've got a plan, and stick with us, and we'll get that over to you as soon as possible. We may have to get in touch to get your address, but I'm pretty certain we can get you something that's really cool that will make you happy. I've already got an idea for it, so you stick to that. And if you would like to join jesse andrew and kimberly on our patreon please go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots where you can get a bunch of free gifts and behind the scenes stuff and a special episode which we may do uh kind of before christmas um and a bunch of other stuff like things that we don't put on social media um like holiday stuff and family stuff and you get to see behind the scenes with our lives so that's cool just have to sling us some cash and stick around for a while that's all.
1: <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna walk my cat and put that up there. Yes, but that would every, be so cool. Every time I go out though, somebody does like what you may have heard in the background and rides by on a loud motorcycle or their loud vehicle, mm. and he does not want to be out there anymore. So no, it hasn't I happened can, again.
0: <laughs> I can completely understand that. And actually, while we're pointing out loud background noise, I didn't actually hear that, but I will also point out um in the UK, it's currently Diwali. So um there's a bunch of fireworks going off outside my house so you may hear that in the background I'm not being attacked it is just (laughs) Diwali (laughs) that's happening and it's like it's in multiple different directions because we're like Wolverhampton the West Midlands a big multicultural area so there's like firework displays going off in multiple different directions really cool Uh, so you have basically animals have a nightmare from like the fourth of November until like the fifteenth of November because you've got Bonfire night and then we got Diwali and just people in between setting off fireworks. No fun for them. So.
1: Yeah, it I could see I
0: could see poor poor dogs, poor cats Poor dog, yeah. Margot, Margot's okay with it. She's like, she'll go out, she'll be like, oh, there's a bunch of noises go off, and then the big one go goes off. She's like, What the fuck was that? And just <laughs> go absolutely insane. So, um, Derek, it's it's been a while. But, um, you know, we've got a lot of stuff coming up on the horizon. I think, um, getting away from the personal stuff now, I'm really interested by who you're going to be talking about today because the season that we're in right now can sometimes lead people to feeling quite aggressive and violent. And I think I would like to hear this person that you're about to cover, a violent NFL star, please tell us about your idiot this week. Well, because it's a Sunday in November,
1: yes. Um, I figured it would be cool to cover a, a U.S. football star, you Makes know, with sense. all their crazy wrestling style shenanigans. Yeah. Uh, the guy I want to talk to you about has been called the dirtiest player in NFL history.
0: Ooh. Okay.
1: He's known as, <clears throat> as uh, Romo or Romo Cop, Mister Bill Romanowski.
0: Okay. Not heard of he, this guy. I'm interested to find out now.
1: He he was born William Thomas Romanowski just after April Fool's Day, uh, 1966, on April 2nd in Vernon, right. Connecticut. He spent his youth in Connecticut where he played high school football at Rockville High School and graduated in 1984. Went on to play linebacker at Boston College where he graduated with academic honors and a Scanlon Award in 1988. That April, he's selected in the third round of the NFL draft with the 80th overall pick by the Ooh. San Francisco 49ers. So, so that's
0: not a particularly high pick, really.
1: Not, not super great, but but no. third third round, still good money. Oh, and right. It, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. Linebacker's a defensive player. It's usually not a uh, super high draft, but, you know, it's 88. It, so, or, yeah yeah 88 it's a okay while it's a while back when the game was a lot rougher but yes uh he's headed now from new england over to the west coast he was a hard working hard hitting player back then but from what i can tell he wasn't really a violent player yet right in his in his high school and college days but i didn't i haven't read his book so i, I don't know a lot about his younger days i know mostly about his crazy professional football days,
0: right? Okay. (laughs)
1: Um, in one article that was titled crack the code by Alan Grant, he dives into what might've actually created the monster that became known as Romo or Romo cop. Mm -hmm. Uh, he talks about an incident that occurred during his rookie season in a game against the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Romanowski got pushed in the back by Ethan Horton and he didn't do anything to retaliate to him. But the next day when they were studying film, A teammate of his, Ronnie Lott, Mm -hmm. saw the tape, stood up, turned off the projector, flipped on the lights, and started punking Romanowski for allowing himself to get punked on the field like that by an opposing player. And he tells him, this game's about respect. And if you let someone do that to you again, I'm going to come after you myself. (laughs) Following that, Romo takes the advice to heart and then kind of steps it up a notch.
0: So you either behave like a psychopath or i will beat you it's such a weird like this is about respect and I, if i can't respect you then i'm gonna beat you that's such a weird fucking stance to take
1: to be fair i think i think lot was the guy that like had his finger cut off in a game or some Jesus. crap and then went back into play it was so weird <laughs> um <laughs> Romanowski really kind of stepped it up from there and got super dirty and started playing with a style that made people like absolutely hate him. Right. He, he, he was a player that just never turned off the intensity, not even in practice. And he was involved in so many altercations with both teammates and opponents mm. that it was, it's just nuts in August of 1990 after taking a beating by the Oakland Raiders on Monday, uh, on Sunday, at monday practice things kind of got a little out of hand and he broke a unwritten rule and hit jerry rice his own teammate really hard during practice <laughs> wow. that resulted in uh, the the two exchanging punches and rolling around mm-hmm. on the ground a little bit before the coach had to jump in and break it up and he ended up getting knocked on his ass too <sighs> good romo downplayed the incident saying that they laughed about it afterwards and the initial hit was an accident and it kind of goes to the type of violent intense player that he was though that he's just laying out his own teammates in practice
0: yeah um and obviously we're probably going to get onto it later on but this is way before concussion protocols so they're just like getting straight back up again and carrying on and when you're not only getting battered on the pitch but also in practice like that's actually going to have a significant long term effect on him and his teammates down the line who've played with him so that's a problem in itself as well
1: he had something like 20 concussions that Jesus. he had confirmed over his his 16 year career Oof, oh, that's horrible but in in 1995 uh Well, he because he ended up going to the Eagles after that. And in Mm -hmm. in 1995, while he was playing with the Eagles, he was ejected from the game and fined $4,500 for kicking Arizona Cardinals fullback Larry Centers in the head.
0: What was the guy on the ground? How the fuck did he pull that off?
1: Yeah, he was on the ground. And here's the thing. He didn't just kick him once. No, no, no. No. He kicked a man five damn times in the head
0: oh my god, like full-on punt kicks. Type yeah, was just
1: kicking him. And it, like, it was big news here in Arizona because, I mean, it was Cardinals, but that's probably yeah. not the worst thing he did in his career. Wow. Just so much more. Uh, two more wild incidents that happened in 1997 uh, when he was playing for the Denver Broncos. One of them occurred in preseason in an exhibition game that had like no real impact on the outcome of the overall season they were playing the carolina panthers and he went in with a helmet to helmet shot on quarterback Kerry collins that was just absolutely brutal and he shattered his jaw that resulted in a twenty thousand dollar fine
0: that's awful
1: later in the actual season on live national television on monday night football Romanowski spit in the face of 49ers wide receiver JJ Stokes in response to what he believed was Stokes taunting him. He so spit. Like, yeah. Just what the fuck, man. It's gnarly too. And it was like there was a close up on JJ in his face and just
0: phoo, just Oh, that's it was, disgusting.
1: Yeah. Um that that resulted in Romanowski becoming one of the most hated players in football like right away. And not only was it seen as a sign of disrespect by the fans, but even some of his own teammates took uh took offense to it, including Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp. And that also added an element of possible racism because JJ Stokes Whoa. is a black man and Romanowski's a white dude. Right. Also he might have some other possible racist tendencies, but we'll dive into that in a minute. Okay. <laughs> um, two years later, while he's still with the Broncos, he's racking up some fines. He's amassing, let's see, 42500 that year for three illegal hits, plus a punch that he threw to the Kansas City Chiefs tight end, uh, Tony Gonzalez. That's what it was.
0: Yeah, Right. I wrote it.
1: Okay. A- wrote it down wrong here that was (laughs) it's not tommy um let's see that's not that's not the end though okay there was also an undisclosed fine that year because he was acting like a child and he picked up a football and threw it at the crotch of brian cox of the new york jets and hit him in the nuts with it
0: I thought you were gonna say the actor Brian Cox. I was like, leave that poor old man alone. What's the matter with you? That's the guy from Succession. Don't throw balls at him.
1: That, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a god, that was a good show. That was a good show. Oh my god.
0: Watch it if you haven't. Succession. It's amazing. Absolutely. Four perfect seasons. Anyway, back That's to the psychopath.
1: Um, after that, he he goes to Oakland, he plays for the Raiders, and continues to just be an absolute madman. I in- bet the Raiders
0: love that shit. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They're crazy. (laughs) I don't know much about American football, but, man, I know the Raiders kind of wild. They were kind of like one of
1: the dirtiest teams in football, in my opinion, for a long time. Yeah. But uh, after moving there, he's a madman again on Monday Night Football in 2002. He delivers what appears to be an intentional injury to a former teammate of his, Shannon Sharp
0: that's weird
1: well he's going up against sharp defending him uh sharp goes up to make this one-handed catch romanowski hooks his other free arm comes down on him with his full body weight rolls into it and then when they're on the ground it even looks like he pulls up on his wrist a little bit for good measure oh so Um, he's
0: trying to fucking dislocate his shoulder or something
1: uh, he dislocated his elbow (sighs) is what he did and uh it's pretty gross. There's all kinds of videos of it. They mm. replayed it over and over and over again because it got ruled it as an incomplete catch and they overturned it because wow. he actually did maintain possession while getting his elbow dislocated. So, suck. That's it.
0: crazy. Yeah. So he <laughs> caught the ball but he's out for the rest of the season. So, uh, I mean, yeah. how long a dislocated shoulder? Like a dislocated shoulder, that's like six to eight months but a dislocated elbow is that like less time I don't know.
1: I'm not sure how long he was out on that I didn't didn't really dive into that too much because I was just going through blown this, away just insane crap that it's just so long this list of yeah. shit that he did to people Um and the videos that I had to watch were entertaining yeah to, Uh I mean disturbing to just say the least
0: gross and horrible I'm sure
1: yeah Um <laughs> here's the thing yeah, He repeatedly admitted to intentionally injuring players to get wins and get his way. Um, in one interview, he talks about being in a pile and trying to to go for the ball against a, a running back and not being able to get to the ball, so he broke dude's finger. Oh, what the purpose. fuck? Oh, yeah. Why? And Jesus. He s- smiles about it in the interview, it's, which goes to just his mental state. But
0: I'm starting to now think that it's not because his teammate told him, no, you've got to be more aggressive. I'm starting to think he is just out of his mind a little bit.
1: Right around 2001, he may or may not. He totally was on steroids starting in 2001.
0: Right. Okay, that explains quite a bit.
1: Uh, Later in 2003, while he's still with the Raiders. uh, Just before the end of his career. Right. He's in a preseason scrimmage and he attacks another one of his own teammates.
0: <laughs> of course he does.
1: This time, it's so bad that he ends up crushing the eye socket of tight end Marcus Williams, which forces Ooh. his retirement. The the tight end, his teammate.
0: Oh, shit. Could he but, not have sued him for that? For like oh, Boston he did. Earnings? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like um,
0: millions of dollars that could have cost him. it
1: It could have, but it didn't, we'll tell you. Uh, The reason why he did it is because Williams went in and blocked him. Romanowski felt like he held him. So his reaction was to grab Williams by the face mask, and pull his head back until his helmet came off, and then punch him until he knocked him out, and then he stood over him yelling at him until he came to. Jesus. Um, That's when we, you know... Williams decided to sue him for 3.4 million yeah he he argued that he was suffering from roid rage at the time but the argument was rejected by the judge because it couldn't prove that he was actually on steroids at the time of the Crazy. attack wow and he was only awarded 340,000 for lost wages and medical expenses which seems absolutely batshit insane
0: yeah that's not much at all holy shit
1: uh, 2003 was the last year that he played professional football which was probably a relief to players everywhere including on his <laughs> yeah. own team yeah uh, from from stories that he shared too though in uh, including incidents that occurred off the field in the locker room he's unhinged it right. sounds like in one story he describes in detail this altercation over a microwave
0: a microwave
1: yeah He he throws a microwave at his teammate Dexter Carter in a locker room, and then he grabs him by the throat and he, he, quote, jacked him up against a Coke machine and ripped off his gold chain.
0: Okay. now the reason
1: why is because it was an old microwave and it would normally take like two minutes for it to heat up a sandwich, he said. But if you put in two sandwiches, it would take like 20 minutes so when that
0: doesn't work <laughs> mathematically, that's not how that works.
1: Well, that's the way he felt like it worked. So when okay. Dexter, so when Dexter Carter put a sandwich in there with Romo's sandwich, he lost his shit and Yeah, threw the microwave at him. And then all that happened.
0: Um, so. yeah, that's slightly disproportionate to having a lukewarm sandwich. It's perfectly um, normal workplace behavior. <laughs> I, uh, I I thought it was going to be something as petty as the, thank god for air fries yes good Reveal. point Toaster Zoid. um <laughs> uh, my my um my point was going to be maybe it was because someone hadn't cleaned the microwave and he was um also a good question what kind of sandwich was it um if it's a hero sub then I'm, I might excuse his rage but uh, <laughs> but yeah like the the kind of petty explosions that's crazy. So can I ask, was he good as a player? Because he kept getting chances.
1: Oh yeah. No, he was he was a great linebacker. He right. he, he recorded all kinds of sacks and tackles. His stats were great. He was okay, just so
0: it's insane like he, and Violent. He, yeah, it's like we take a chance with this guy because he's worth it, because he's got, you know, great numbers, but actually the chances are that he'll go completely insane and we'll have to fire him at some point so jesus yeah
1: now here's where we're gonna talk about the racism the fun part right i guess the fun part yeah Uh, i'm gonna share a fun little graphic for the people that are watching along uh we've got some graphics i hope maybe pro
0: he's a good linebacker con he might be a serial killer good point toasterzoid uh there we go look at this picture so um for those of you watching along,
1: here's his, his tally of offenses and fines during his 16 year career from 95 all the way to 2002, and these are just the ones for on the field, the ones that that he was fined for. For those of you are, that are listening and don't have the visuals here, I'll go through them. In 95, he kicked Larry Centers in the head. That was 4.5 thousand. 97, he broke Kerry Collins' jaw. That was twenty thousand. 97, he spit on J.J. Stokes. That was seven point 99, he punched Tony Gonzalez in the head. That was 10,000. 99, he had an illegal hit on Trent Dilfer. That was 10,000. 99, he had an illegal hit on Fred Taylor. That was 15,000. 01, he had a late hit on Roland Williams. That was seven point five thousand. And then in 02, he ripped the helmet off Eddie George. Um, and that's all told. Seventy-nine thousand five hundred dollars by two thousand and two.
0: That's as much as I make in like two and a half, three years. <laughs> yeah, just through fines, he's getting like nearly eighty thousand dollars. That's fucking crazy. And, and that's as Toasty just for being out. violent yeah and that's just like you say that's just the on the field stuff god knows how much he's been fine for off field but as toasty points out points out he looks like the old pixel model for bj black quiz or whatever in the original <laughs> oh, yeah. wolfenstein he does look like the main person from wolfenstein he has got the flat top of a military man uh, Oh yeah and and, and like he, he doesn't look I mean, he doesn't look like a psychopath, but then again, what do, a psych- what do psychopaths look like? But tell me about the racism. <laughs> okay, so now I have
1: another thing I'm going to share for you. Um, okay. Uh, let's see, pull this one off and stop that. The eight names that I just gave you there, of those mm. eight names, uh, six of them are non-white.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. And you can't just say it's because there's a... Predominantly African American participation in the sport. Okay, there's Eddie George, sure.
1: And there's Roland Williams, Roland Williams, Fred Taylor, yeah. Tony Gonzalez, yeah. JJ Stokes, Larry centers <clears throat> And then obviously Kerry Collins had it. come and look at him.
0: Of course, yeah. He's got and floppy hair.
1: Everybody wanted to hit Trent Dilfer. <laughs> and then Shannon Sharp, Dexter Carter and uh, dave maggot is the guy whose finger he broke who he didn't get fined for because he did it at the bottom of the pile jesus um oh yeah and there's marcus williams oh. after he hit him at the scrimmage game that's what his face looked like
0: that's after, awful
1: afterwards so, i mean
0: for again for those people listening uh, if, uh i'm not even sure you'd want to google this First of all, it's clearly a shot taken from the emergency room because there's all sorts of equipment around him in this picture, but his left eye is completely closed. His jaw looks to be broken, uh, and he is just covered in bruises. That is a horrific picture. That's, that reminds me of the Rihanna post-Chris Brown incident picture. Like That is a brutal attack. Holy yeah. shit.
1: Yeah, it crushed his eye socket. It's, it's gnarly, but... Um, so yeah, that brings the the total number uh, to ten out of twelve people that he knowingly mm. outright assaulted in, in to to people of color versus you know non people mm. of color. So I don't know. In addition to the physical violence, though, he also called Carolina Panthers starting quarterback Cam Newton "boy" in a tweet. Uh following Cam's loss in the Super Bowl 50. Mm, yeah. He he did apologize later, though, but only after allegations of racism started being thrown around.
0: So, <laughs> only when people started, like, looking him up and saying, actually, there appears to be a pattern here. Uh yeah. Right.
1: Now, I can't say for certain, but say, things mm. kind of, you know, look a certain way. So, you know, you decide for yourself.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that potentially worries me about the racism thing is we all know high profile people who have said and done racist things on social media or in the public eye and immediately like, Oh wow, you're really stupid. That make, you know, you're, you're obviously a racist and that's never going to disappear. Like Mel Gibson, particularly like public issues with controlling his horrible racist beliefs. But this guy, who is incredibly violent and dangerous, appears to have been very, very careful at controlling what is probably a significant racial bias, at least, to, or, like against people of color in, in the way he's treated them. It is weird.
1: It, um, it sure seems that way, and it, it came up in the media quite a few times throughout his career. <laughs> Shannon Sharp touched on it a little bit, Mm. um when they were teammates and said hey i don't know if he spit in jj stoke's face because he was black Mm. but you just don't do that to a man he's another man you don't spit in another person's face yeah human being
0: (laughs) don't don't spit in people's faces like it's i think it's a i think it's classed as assault for a start but also you kind of don't really live that down i think um yeah Really, just a really nasty person. Yeah. He doesn't sound completely balanced. I mean, obviously, we can talk about roid rage and concussions for a long, long time, but there are plenty of people that have done steroids throughout their professional athletic career and who have had significant head trauma and are actually the nicest people in the world. Uh, One person that comes to mind before he passed away recently, and I'm going back to wrestling again, is Terry Funk, who participated in some of the most hardcore matches, barbed wire, flames, bombs, all sorts of shit, and good wrestling, wrestled for like 40, 50 years, had dozens of concussions, had the most horrific injuries, and definitely did steroids, because at one point in time, he's a 50-year-old man, and he's jacked. So he was definitely doing roids. But just the nicest most humble most helpful guy you could ever wish to meet so it's not the case that people do performance enhancing drugs and get head trauma yeah it's not an excuse (laughs) for that kind of behavior it might explain elements of it but it doesn't excuse it or explain the whole thing so there's something in this guy's past and it can't just be explained by that the teammate said i have to hit people therefore i hit people there's something there that's fueling this man to be as angry as he is
1: it yeah and i don't know maybe i maybe we need to read his book but ah (laughs) since since his playing career he did go on to co-author the autobiography in 2005 titled romo my life on the edge living Mm. dreams and slaying dragons
0: slaying dragons
1: dragons he means teammates and other players yeah
0: people Um, of color apparently (laughs)
1: It became a New York Times best-selling book in 2005. Yeah, uh, after that, conspiracy. he's featured on Midway Games' uh, Blitz, the league. Okay. That makes sense because that game was just as violent as him. <laughs> and he, he appeared on the NCAA football series as linebacker number 53 for Boston College. Okay. The 1984 Boston College Eagles. And mm-hmm. then most recently, I read this article... On CBS Sports in June, mm-hmm. that the United States government is suing the him and his wife for allegedly using money from their nutrition company to pay for personal expenses.
0: Oh dear, that's that's not good. Bezelment yeah. ain't good. Um. They,
1: yeah they're They're asserting that Romanowski and his wife, owe, roughly fifteen point three million dollars in backpack yeah. back taxes. back, That's back s- taxes.
0: Backpack taxes, possibly <laughs> backpack. backpack taxes Ta- taxes. Yeah, Holy shit. I feel like if this guy had been a little bit smarter in his career, he'd have retired even more wealthy than he did because I mean, we're we're talking about what was it? the three hundred and forty thousand plus the eighty thousand and stuff. But also, All of this behavior will have cost him God knows how many millions in endorsements because who wants to work with this guy? He's going to do something really stupid and you're going to have to explain it away. So he can't be on a Wheaties box. He can't you know, have a high-profile contract with Nike or or someone like that because it would immediately bring bad press attention to them. So he's probably cost himself millions of dollars by not being a bit more controlled. Oh, I think absolutely. Yeah so and and now he might be looking at i mean I, I don't know how much money he made during his career but 15 million dollars is is not chump change really <laughs> so no, no. he could be in a lot of trouble for that
1: yeah they well, they said that they were avoiding their taxes because they were using the nutrition 53 money their their accounts from that company to buy everything from pet food to paying their daughter's rent
0: holy shit so- yeah, get, get a job, lady. <laughs> no, sorry, that's terrible. Um, but no, hey, actually, I see it's my daughter, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> but no, that's that's kind of yeah, that's kind of fucked up. Um, and the government will go straight after anyone who fucks with taxes and stuff like that. Like, unless you're a, a, a multi billionaire, then you can get away with paying nothing. But if you're like a millionaire or a normal person who has barely any money left in their bank account because anniversary dinners and stuff i'm not talking about <laughs> myself but um, <laughs> uh but yeah uh, they will go after you hard so don't fuck with the government on taxes you know just, yeah. just pay that shit and get it over and done with but i mean in terms of scoring this guy it, it is i feel like that there's a lot there's probably more to come with him because he's still alive in this this government thing who knows probably more scandals he doesn't sound like the kind of guy who's going to be commended for doing like massive amounts of charity work and turning his life around and washing away all of that scandal he didn't sound like that kind of guy reminds me a little bit of pac-man jones um a
1: little bit yeah
0: yeah who's just just not really a great person but um uh or or who's the guy that was killing dogs um
1: oh michael vick
0: michael vick yeah what the yeah. fuck man uh if the government government wants money how about they get a job yeah fucking government you lazy bastards uh, yeah. They can't. They're too old. They're basically retired at this point. Uh, <laughs> so, um, in terms of scoring this guy, I, like, he hasn't killed anyone, but like the violence is almost off the charts with him. And like he didn't learn. And he cost himself money. And now he's in line for tax problems. So I'm going to go 86 Ooh, with him. Okay. Um, there's very few redeeming qualities about this guy's life and career. Really, there's um, nothing to pull it back. There's no explanation, as far as I can tell, from for his violence. It would be interesting to read his book to see where some of that's come from. But yeah, you kind of, at a certain point, sixteen years deep into your career, you need to stop. You need to get your shit together. You know, yeah. Even Joey Barton learned to get his shit together, sort of, and he was a lunatic. So, well, you know,
1: the the scary thing that I didn't even mention is that in 2008 he coached his son's high school football team oh yeah that sucked and then he tried to be the head coach for the broncos but luckily they were like no no
0: no 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 <laughs> We don't want you punching any of your like teammates or You're throwing or chairs underlings. and shit actually it would be kind of because like at this stage in his life he's in his what 50s now maybe 60 something uh <laughs> of his biography at page one. I'm so fucking angry. I hate everyone. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nails it. <laughs> Great biography. Uh Yeah. I feel like if he were to coach someone like the Broncos, and would pull that shit with like people who are now like a third his age, he'd get his ass beaten. So
1: I think yeah, probably yeah, he's a probably. lot smaller now. Yeah, I mean, he's exactly. way bigger than me, but he's a lot smaller than he was. Yeah, he's
0: a he's an old man now. You know, he's he's not going to pull that shit with someone who could definitely hurt him. Uh, So, yeah, what was the guy's name again, sorry? Bill Romanowski. Bill Romanowski, RomoCop, um, yes, who <laughs> had a serious anger issue. And that's going to... Okay, we're going to do a somewhat transition here from someone who had absolutely no ability to control his temper, apparently, to someone who controlled his temper right up until the point where he knew he could get away with doing whatever the fuck he wanted so this Uh-oh. is a really interesting story and i had a lot of fun researching this and part of it was inspired by me reading an article from smartblend.co.uk and uh, which was which was taken from an amazing podcast called nightcap which talks about the history of alcohol and drinking and stuff like that um but also the ken burns documentary prohibition which is a great series if you ever get a chance to watch it i would highly recommend it anything ken burns has done is great but prohibition baseball um there's a couple of others as well are particularly good because they're not quite as as intense as the vietnam one you know so a little bit more lighthearted. the civil war one's really interesting as well anyway so this is the story of the person who inspired the great gatsby Oh, nice. Scott Fitzgerald yes so let me tell you the story of George Remus the real life great Gatsby and I want to point out that actually and I don't know if this has been made into a film I saw a picture of someone that was supposed to be playing him in some sort of film I think this could be a really interesting film Scorsese if you listen to our podcast <laughs> this is the film that you need to make because it's like it's wild in a, in a number of different ways but also really interesting So George Remus was born in Landsberg, Germany in 1878 to Frank and Marie Remus. Remus arrived in the United States on June 15th, 1882, departing from Norway on the Fiffington boat to New York and briefly lived in Maryland, then Wisconsin, and finally moved to Chicago in 1885. Like 1892, and now 14-year-old George Remus begins working for his uncle's pharmacy. For the next 10 years, he built a humble life for himself, studying to earn his pharmacist license and marrying and starting a family. By 1899, after earning his pharmacist license, George purchased his uncle's pharmacy. So...
1: Things are going well.
0: Going great. Like, he's a young guy who's come into the country he's made good he's now a business owner he's married he's got a kid um and it just keeps getting better for a while for this guy in fact really it doesn't ever go wrong if you look at it from a certain perspective so we'll we'll get to that in a bit but (laughs) eager to expand his knowledge at the same time as becoming a full-time pharmacist george starts studying law and completed a three-year course in just 18 months Damn, smart. Yes. Now, I want to point out we are a podcast called History's Greatest Idiots. This guy is a genius, like certified genius, but he's kind of insane. So, we'll get to that as well, which is why he's on this list um so he completes a three year course in just eighteen months, and by nineteen hundred George Remus was admitted to the Illinois bar so so far, he's doing well for himself, especially as an immigrant at the turn of the century. he's really hit the ground running. not only does he have his own business, he has a pharmacist license he's expanding his business, he's a lawyer now he's on the bar it It doesn't get much better than that at the turn of the century but he had a desire for more. Um, the same year, um, George and his wife Lillian would become uh, would welcome their only child into the world, Romola Remus. That's kind of cruel. Um, Why? Yeah, where's that name come from? Well, uh, my <laughs> thought—I <laughs> didn't look into it. My thought was Remus. Uh, is his last name right, as in like Romulus and Remus? Um, I'm wondering if he's thinking like Romulus. Well, I can't call her Romulus. Maybe I'll go with Romola. So it's like the Roman thing, maybe. Okay. Romola Remus. It's like that's like a name out of fucking Harry Potter book. A little really. bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's cruel, you asshole. <laughs> um, so Romola, Romola. Really interesting fact about her. Um, would find fame in her own right by becoming the first actress to put, uh, to portray Dorothy on screen in The Wizard of Oz. She is a young Dorothy. Oh, nice! Yeah. So that's kind of incredible in itself. So well, well done, uh, Ramola Remus. Yeah. So when when I guess like there must have been like a TV version, or not even that. Like it must have been a cheap shit cheap film. Shit. But she's the Where first she person playing? to do that. Uh so she's born in uh around 1900 1901 um, okay. so it would have been may have been a silent version I didn't look into it much but that's that's what the record states that she's that's the first cool. actress to play uh Dorothy on screen of the Wizard of Oz kind of amazing That, that is awesome yeah um her dad is way more famous for a bunch of stuff and actually <laughs> she may not want to have too much to do well she probably didn't want to have too much to do with him and i'll explain why during the 1900s arguments for prohibition begin to melt uh different states across the country begin to enforce prohibition by banning the sale of alcohol in fact by 1909 two-thirds of chicago's precincts would ban the sale of alcohol uh, which saw the early days of bootleggers. People would distribute bourbon through Chicago, which was brought in from other states. In fact, there's a very particular moment in um, the, the Prohibition documentary. is amazing. You have to go and watch it. But Winston Churchill, who was Home Secretary at the time in Great Britain, was contact, uh, contacted by the American states, State Department uh, um, over on their side because people were running booze from the Caribbean onto, like, the American shores, and they were using these boats that were very difficult to spot at night and were quite nimble. And they said, we need you to enforce prohibition and the non-transportation of alcohol on the Caribbean for us. And Churchill, being an alcoholic, said, not only am I not going to do that, I'm going to tell them to put two outdoor boats (laughs) motors on their boats to get them even faster away from you. And uh, so he was like fuck you i think it's insane and i'm actually going to encourage it and, and there was more booze came through as a result of it so winston church was like i like what you boys are doing do it more often so i can't say that i disagree with him i know prohibition was a disaster was let's, so dumb. Let's, yeah i mean i'm currently living through the uk's version of a disastrous policy right now it's called brexit so uh it's basically as damaging to this country as prohibition has been and it's also led to criminals becoming incredibly wealthy as a result so um not quite sure why we've got fuck wayne wheeler but we've got fuck wayne wheeler from toasterzoid there so don't even know who that is mate um anyway um back to the bootlegger so during uh, so the prohibition is now uh, in full force. George, being Chicago-based and a certified lawyer, took on took it on himself to defend these bootleggers who were being arrested like constantly all around the country in the lead-up to prohibition. During this time, George had discovered two things: firstly, these clients of his were making a lot of money doing what they're doing because prohibition. you, you you can charge the earth for garbage booze because people just want to get plastered. Yeah. Um, And it appeared that there was vast sums of money to be earned in bootlegging. Secondly, the reason a lot of these people were caught was because they were um, basically idiots. And they didn't have criminal mindsets. They weren't criminals. They weren't professional criminals. They were just people trying to make a fast buck.
1: And I'm going to assume a lot of them were probably drunk
0: oh yeah they're drunk on their own (laughs) supply which is probably like a combination of like paint thinner and whatever else they could get like rat poison anything they could get their fucking hands on to make their booze so george on the other hand was a very educated man and uh very and quite well known for meticulous planning his pharmacies were really good because they had an incredibly efficient supply chain so if he realized that certain drugs were needed more often in specific pharmacies and specific areas he'd make sure that there was a regular supply of it going through so uh, the distribution of stuff was so efficient that he always made continuous profit he was very good at organizing distribution of things and he's a lawyer and he's now seen that bootleggers are making money i think you can see where this is going yeah that's kind um, of- He's going he's gonna to be awesome at this. He's rubbing his hands together at this point. <laughs> in 1914, George gains national notoriety for his role as defense attorney in the William Cheney Ellis murder trial. It was at the trial that George would pioneer the virtually unheard of transitory insanity defense, um, a precursor to what would be known as temporary insanity. Okay. First person to ever use that. Okay. So... I was in such a rage, Your Honor, that I was in that moment temporarily insane, which we've all experienced those moments of temporary insanity. Not all of us have committed murder. But um, his argument worked, and Ellis was given an incredibly light sentence, less than five years. Um, And George's creative defense would go on to be a hugely influential moment in American law. So... I bet. That's kind kind of brilliant brilliant yeah it is brilliant devious but brilliant because that guy wasn't temporarily insane like he definitely murdered someone um and premeditated as well anyway by 1918 the volstead act has been passed and uh it would completely outline all prohibition across america in 1920 the whole of america will go into prohibition george gets to work studying the volstead act back to front searching for loopholes because of course he does he's a lawyer and a pharmacist What he found was really interesting um, because it was really poorly constructed. And I I should also point out, people had begun hoarding massive amounts of booze at this point before the deadline. They were given like a year's deadline for the Volstead Act. So all of these rich people went out and bought like hundreds of thousands of gallons of booze, mountains of the stuff and just filled their cellars. They're like, I'm just going to ride it out. I'll be fine. You know, it was like toilet paper during the pandemic. It was. There's was just none of it because all of the rich people <laughs> have bought it up. Um, so there were two particular parts of the Volstead Act that George Remus thought were really interesting. Firstly, um, the part that read nothing in this act shall prohibit the purchase um, and sale of warehouse receipts covering distilled spirits on deposit in government bonded warehouses. So if you had a government warehouse you could sell distilled spirits. And secondly, uh, Wayne Willard also wrote the amendment that outlawed uh, alcohol. Right, gotcha. Yes, there we go. Okay, thank you for that. That's really good uh, clarification there from Toastasoid. Uh, and secondly, no one shall manufacture, sell, purchase, transport, or prescribe any liquor... Dot. 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 except that a person may, without a permit, purchase and use liquor for medicinal purposes... <laughs> oh Ooh. and actually medical alcohol big market for that because it's very good at sterilization it's very good for treatment of specific wounds um so i need to calm my nerves doctor can you prescribe me a bunch of bourbon uh, yes i can <laughs> i can gladly um using his pharmaceutical knowledge george new physicians prescribing liquor would need to buy it from somewhere that somewhere would be drug companies George would purchase or start. His ingenious plan would be to purchase government bonded distilleries as part of the first thing and legally deliver large quantities of his own bourbon to his own drug companies. Sounds great, right? But there's another stage. He's then going to get those shipments hijacked and sell the booze himself. Behind closed doors. So he's selling it in two different ways. He looks legitimate, so he could make a load of money. He's like, oh no, 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 you know, I'm a pharmacist. I, you know, booze, legitimate. Look, here's the way around. But he's also hijacking it so that he can sell it on the black market for even more money. So when the government look for tax receipts, Al Capone style, he can be like, I'm a successful businessman. I own this distillery. I own this pharmacy. I own this, this, and this. And like, oh yeah, that works. He also happens to be hijacking his own booze.
1: Now <clears throat> were those loads
0: insured too? Because now yes. is he making in- oh yes God, they were he is so smart and he um he's insured like the trucks for huge amounts of money as well. And like there might be like oh no, they caught fire afterwards and shit <laughs> like that. Uh yeah, basically a good point here. Uh doctors and Jewish rabbis were basically de facto bartenders. It's true, because there were so many loopholes. Um so Most bootlegging empires revolved around Chicago, a place George had no intention of starting his empire because he did not want to get involved with people like Al Capone. Uh, Starting an empire there would cause more issues than it was worth because he wanted to keep it as quiet as possible, smart. He didn't want to be high profile like Capone. Let let them hog the, the limelight, make all the mistakes. I'm going to be in the background making money. So George discovers that 80% of the entire country's bonded whiskey is within a three-mile radius of Cincinnati. Ooh. So a perfect place to execute his genius plan, which starts with him leaving his old life behind in Chicago, along with his wife and daughter, where he moves to Cincinnati. He's just like, fuck you, I'm moving two towns over. <laughs> He's so, just left them? Yeah, it's the turn of the century. I'm just going to disappear. Fuck it. Um, and yeah, remarrying a woman named Imogen Holmes. I want you to remember that name because it's going to be incredibly important later on. Okay. Whilst in Cincinnati, George begins acquiring drug companies like he was doing, uh, working with federal associates in Washington, D.C. that he'd been working with during his time as an attorney to help gain access to all the permits he would need to purchase and withdraw bourbon from the distilleries he would go on to own. So, um, to further solidify his plan, he creates his own trucking company, which would be used to deliver the bourbon from the distilleries to the drug companies. To further this plan, he purchased a Cincinnati farm called Death Valley, where he would store and distribute the stolen bourbon that was being hijacked from his own trucking company, it's essentially foolproof because nobody's going to fuck with a guy who is a lawyer to the mob. He's not involved with the dr- the, the bootlegging with the mob. He's the lawyer to the mob, right. but he also has government ties. So This guy,
1: yeah, he's smart. really smart.
0: Like Hoover couldn't touch him. That's how good Man. this guy was. But it all comes tumbling down oh. and not the way you think. At this point, he owns distilleries where he can legally sell bourbon to drug companies completely foolproof plan he also owns the drug companies and has them purchased the whiskey foolproof plan the whiskey will be delivered using a trucking company foolproof plan which he also owns foolproof plan uh but along the way he would be unfortunately hijacked by people he paid to do the job not quite so foolproof You then have to have the criminal element involved, and that's the problem. This man is 100 steps ahead. He is 100 steps ahead of literally everyone, but the problem was that hijacking plan because when you see high-level hijacking, the FBI are going to get interested, and uh, they would then take the stolen whiskey to Death Valley, which is obviously under his name. It was surrounded by armed guards, so immediately there's suspicion around that, like, why has this farm got armed guards? And also the Whiskey Runners, and there was a payroll of 3,000 workers on this farm. So people are like, what the fuck is going on here? That's a lot of people on a farm.
1: It's a hell so, of a farm, yeah.
0: Yeah, what are they doing <laughs> there? Uh, this operation solidified George's reputation as the king of the bootleggers. You've got to admit, it's it's an amazing setup. But he also had another name, the King of Payoffs. Um, due to the fact he handed out huge payoffs to law enforcement heads politicians and prohibition agents to turn a blind eye from the death valley farm where he's also spending most of his time running his legal and illegal operations at this point remus built his empire with intellect rather than systemic violence which was the norm at the time he also didn't drink his own supply himself because he was a non-drinker and just just saw it as an opportunity So it's smart.
1: You don't get high off your own supply.
0: Absolutely. And he might be the first person to do that, to be honest. (laughs) Um, He purchased a mansion, Uh, Sorry, during this time, George is one of the most wealthy businessmen in America. And he is a businessman. He's like 90% of his operation is legitimate. It's just the 10% that he's got to be worried about. Um, He's making more money than he knows what to do with and spends it quite generously. He purchased a mansion named the Marble Palace, furnished it with expensive artwork, sculptures, and a huge Grecian indoor swimming pool. A full-sized Olympic-sized swimming pool in this house. Wow. I know 50 fucking meters long, this swimming pool in the early part of the 20th century. Just think about the kind of money this guy has heated indoor swimming pool.
1: That's sick. It's that's, that's fucking just gross amount of money.
0: And it gets weirder as well. George hosted extravagant parties from his home where it was almost uh, as if prohibition didn't exist. He had high society mingling with politicians and law enforcement, all drinking vast amounts of American whiskey and champagne. Dancers, flapper girls and musicians all performed the most famous celebrities, musicians, politicians of the time. Every single one of them showed up, including a rumoured two different American presidents were at this fucking house and the Kennedy descendants so
1: this is at the same time as like Arnold Rothstein, too. huh? That's
0: right. Yeah. And when uh JFK's dad was a fucking boot runner, bootlegger uh-huh. as well. So he was at these parties as well. Um, his most famous party was the 1921 New Year's Eve party where every man who attended the party was gifted with a diamond stick pins so actual diamond in these stick pins i'm not sure what they are but sounds elaborate it's got a diamond doing, in it so in your tie it. maybe i guess so yeah like maybe a tie clip die. i don't know someone will tell us in the comments. <laughs> um and but here's one thing that's not ambiguous um i would have loved to have gone gone there and ironically just like fucking swaned in here's your diamond t- uh type in yeah that's going to come in handy in a few years when the when the depression hits um <laughs> all the women who attended the party uh, didn't get diamond stick pins because that would be very gauche for a woman to get that. So they were given new Pontiac cars instead. <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> Every single woman got a new Pontiac. No kidding. Yep. I, th- I would rather have that than the stick pin. I know. I would too. Actually, I think that's probably much more valuable. Um, and this generosity was not just reserved for his parties. George was known for his large contributions to charities, uh, known for, and also known for handing o- uh, over one hundred dollar bills to just random children in the street, Pablo Escobar style. Yeah, this guy. yeah. He's I was like kind of thinking that mm-hmm. it's a prototype for sure. He's like, I'm not. I'm keeping everything above board. I'm paying my taxes. I'm a businessman, I found a loophole, which you can't touch, and I'm being generous with people that can keep me in power. He is almost perfect in his execution of this crime empire.
1: If he would have had a better way of just selling off that bit instead of having the hijacking, like if he would have had a better way to do that hijacking...
0: I don't understand why he couldn't have sold it abroad. like Sell it in Canada or something. Go international. Yeah. You know? That's like, a good idea. There's there's an element of marketing that you could have done with Prohibition Era bourbon where it's like this is even this is the real strong stuff. This is black label. Sell it market that in Canada or Mexico or to the UK or the Caribbean or whatever. You could probably make money that way. This is before real marketing was a thing, but he decided to do the criminal thing. I guess because he wanted to see if he could do it, but he didn't need to. He was making enough money legitimately anyway. Right. So you just Crazy. yeah,
1: he could have been selling it as the you know the illegal Yankee whiskey.
0: Yeah, man, like that, that the marketing opportunities for that are massive. But he didn't do it. He he went the illegal route. Anyway, it was only three years later in 1924 when S. Scott Fitzgerald published the iconic book, The Great Gatsby, the lavish main character, Jay Gatsby, was reportedly inspired by George, who had met with Fitzgerald a number of times at the Sealback Hotel in Louisville, Kentucky, and had invited into numerous parties at his house. I think it's almost certain that he's the direct inspiration behind the Great Gatsby, given how generous he was and the bootlegging shit.
1: Yeah, that, I, that <laughs> seems pretty pretty plausible. Yeah, so oh,
0: cool though. It is because I always just assumed that the Great Gatsby was just a, a kind of a. A byword for like these rich people during prohibition and the mysterious businessmen who have got a shady past. But actually, it's just this guy. It's just George Remus, That's who awesome. also looks <laughs> nothing like Leonardo DiCaprio. I just want to put that out there. It looks nothing <laughs> like him at all. Um, it was uh, so no one in Cincinnati would touch George, not out of fear of violence, but basically out of fear of losing access to his money because literally everyone from the beat cop up was getting paid off by this guy so don't fuck with your money man that's like it's a difficult time in life just take the money and turn a blind eye however in late october 1921 prohibition agents from chicago raided death valley farm arresting george and many others in his circle cincinnati's chief prohibition agent james flora reluctantly participated why was he reluctant because he was on george's payroll because of course he was so um, George is convicted and sentenced to two years in the Atlanta federal penitentiary. Fittingly, that evening, 125 cases of George's bourbon in crates marked potatoes were seized <laughs> in Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> Why are these potatoes clanging together? Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, some some tasty potatoes. Uh, but also um, he he bribed prison officials while he was in there, and he lived the most lavish lifestyle in prison. You remember Goodfellas? Yeah. That scene where they're all living together, and they're all, they're getting lobster and fucking steaks, and they're cooking it up, and they're cutting the the garlic with the razor so they dissolve right in the oil. Like, that's the kind of life he had. He basically had two cells um, knocked together, but he had to share.
1: Who did he forget to pay off that got him raided?
0: I think it was just, like, the weight of the raids at this point. They couldn't be avoided. So they're like uh, we we have to do this, and he was so sloppy at this point because he thought he had everyone under his thumb that he was just like on the farm when it was raided, and there was a bunch of booze being brought in from the raids, and they're like uh, two plus two four. You kind of fucked, mate. Um, so yeah. <laughs> However, it gets it gets. This is where it all starts to fall apart while in prison having an incredibly cushy life for those two years george remus befriends another inmate who he eventually told all about his money his vast estate and how his operation was ready to kick start back up once he is released due to a large portion of his money hidden across cincinnati and the fact that his wife imogen holmes had complete control over it that inmate a friend of george's was none other than franklin dodge an undercover prohibition agent who was sent to prison to find out more information on George Remus and his assets. Uh, He couldn't stop bragging. That's that's it. Yeah. You got to keep your mouth closed. In situations like that, mate, don't go telling everyone your big dumb plan. got
1: to be humble or it'll take you down.
0: Yeah, just look, they know you're powerful, right? Don't tell them why you're powerful or how you're powerful or how you're going to be powerful. Just say, you know, you've done some stuff in the past. There's the thing about the,
1: the non-criminal element of him is that yeah. he made friends in prison.
0: Yeah, kind of crazy. He thought he
1: could trust him
0: yeah that's that's definitely naivety. That's the lawyer who's trying to see the best in people, I would imagine, and yeah, he should have yeah. kept his mouth shut anyway. um Franklin Dodge now, who is an agent uh rather than telling his bosses about the new information oh no, he, he instead quits <laughs> his job, <laughs> resigned from the force, and started an affair with Imogen Holmes, George oh, Remus's wife, dick. yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Well, that took a twist. That did take a twist. <laughs> that is an incredibly brave decision and probably a stupid one and why would you fuck with this man? He has more connections than just about anyone in the United States at this point.
1: I feel like the guy thought that he was going to slide in and just take his spot while he was in yeah, prison.
0: Probably. Which is just but also a like,
1: dumb thought.
0: Yeah, but also like giving it to his wife like what the fuck man like it's one thing to steal his empire you don't then try and take his wife as well um it gets worse because she was immediately in love with this guy i think because george was like so obsessed with his work he barely paid any attention to it anyway they began selling george's assets and liquidating his businesses like that Mm. disloyalty kicks in um, they even sold his Fleischman Distillery, where the vast amount of his bourbon was created. They gave Remus one hundred dollars of the multi-million dollar empire. That was it. They were just like, "That that's all we're giving you." Um, I don't know if you should be pushing this man as much as you are. Like, Ooh. you've stolen his empire. You've stolen his wife. You've given him a hundred dollars out of the multi-million dollar empire he's due. I feel like a reckoning is coming.
1: Yeah, he's going to go find the temporary insanity guy and
0: uh, oh yeah have him and, and all the other guys. insanity you. Yeah, <laughs> and all the other people he got off on temporary insanity and just use them. <laughs> Knowing that George was about to be released from prison and would understandably be extremely pissed off that they tried to get George uh, they tried to get George deported back to Germany because he's a German national, but he's naturalized at this point. Okay. Also, he knows a bunch of politicians. That was never going to happen. So they weren't, they were really worried about it, obviously, because they fucked with him too much. So they decided that they were going to hire a hitman for $15,000 to murder George. Mm. Guess what happens with that? The hitman didn't follow through due to the fear of Franklin double crossing him and instead became George Remus's mate and told him the full story. And Remus rewarded him with $20,000. So. yeah not so oh this is this is something i didn't pick up in my research tostazoid not so fun fact when he came back to his mansion it was completely empty and he broke down sobbing i remember that from the documentary actually so they took everything from this guy yeah. and tried to get him killed and deported like holy shit anyway so um, much
1: double crossing
0: i know it's crazy in late 19 1927 imogen holmes files for divorce from remus On the way to the court on October the 6th, 1927, for finalization of the divorce, Remus had his driver chase them down through Eden Park in Cincinnati, finally forcing them off the road. Remus jumped out of the car and gunned down his wife, Imogen, in front of a crowd of onlookers who all immediately recognized him.
1: Well, I didn't see I was
0: going to say she had an accident, but. No, he He just murdered her in broad daylight in front of dozens of witnesses who all went, George, what the fuck, man? Oops. like, Oops, but um, knowing he was legally done for, he turned himself in and immediately decided to defend himself in court. Mm. After all, he was a professional lawyer who had gotten people off in the past for the exact same thing, murdering people in broad daylight. Just like that, He first gained, just like when he gained notoriety back in the 1900s, defending William Cheney with his pioneering temporary insanity plea. Remus did the exact same thing for himself, claiming he had temporarily lost his mind. I actually
1: think that's kind of bullshit. That kind of seems fair. I would temporarily uh, lose my mind if somebody stole all my shit and ran off with
0: my wife. (laughs) I feel like, and obviously the, the law has moved on. You forgot to mention that he got in a random taxi and paid him to run her off the road uh yeah so that's that's what happened thank thank you to he's very familiar with the story um but uh yeah so i feel like the temporary insanity thing is a fair cop because he's kind of seen her he's just lost his mind he's remembered all of that shit but i guarantee he's been thinking about murdering them for a very long time and he probably thought when i get a chance i'm going to do it and i'm going to play temporary insanity um, dude I'm literally writing a show about this era nice that's going to be fun we'll have to toast so you're going to have to tell us about that I really want to see, see stuff like that anyway the jury uh, so he's defending himself and he did exactly the same thing he's claimed temporary insanity and actually he's given them all of the instances where this dude and his wife have fucked him over and stolen everything and um, the jury deliberated for 19 minutes before acquitting him oh wow yeah he the state of ohio committed george remus to an insane asylum where he was freed uh from after just a, after just seven months
1: oh wow Dude,
0: for murder what, what year this is 1920 let me go back up a little bit i think it's 21 27 27 1927. 1927,
1: yeah. they just don't give a shit
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can murder someone in broad daylight claim insanity and then you'll just be like, "Yeah, you can have a short holiday in an insane asylum." Although that's wow. that's no holiday at this time, but seven yeah. months—like
1: a rough seven months—probably worse than his two years in prison,
0: I would imagine. so. Well, especially because he can't really bribe anyone at this point because he's got no money left. So,
1: $100. well, he probably paid the taxi guy that.
0: <laughs> yeah, he like, probably paid the taxi guy. Just run them off the fucking road. Why should I do that? He's a Benjamin. Shut the fuck up and get on with it. <laughs> um, <did> you, so, <coughs> seven months in a minimum security asylum for premeditated murder, in my mind is is pretty good. After his release from the institution, he was an informal tutor to another well-known Cincinnati lawyer, William Foster Hopkins, for a period of about six years. George later moved to Covington, Kentucky, across the uh, the Ohio River from Cincinnati, where he lived modestly for the next 20 years without incident. He married for a third time to his longtime secretary, Blanche Watson, Remus ran a small contracting firm Washington Contracting until he suffered a stroke in August 1950 for the next two years he lived in a boarding house in Covington in the care of a nurse Remus died on January the 20th 1952 at the age of 73 and that ladies and gentlemen is the life of George Remus, the original Great Gatsby and probably the best lawyer ever I would say (laughs) yeah
1: gosh
0: wow yeah so incredible business mind incredible criminal mind incredible legal mind and got himself off first degree murder
1: this story was awesome
0: it was and this is why i think this is a scorsese film waiting to happen oh for real
1: yeah (coughs) now here's the thing i'm gonna i'm gonna have to I'm going to have to reward you with this one uh, <laughs> with the score the same way um although he did murder somebody so he did murder someone so he
0: gets points for murder <laughs> um, I was although, gonna I was gonna go really, I, really low. I'm happy to go really quite low with this one, but i also I also want to point out that um murder is never justified ever right. but There are situations where murder happens because you push someone to such a point that they become murderous. So, yes, I feel like the point at which he had reached is definitely this guy's going to murder someone. We need to keep an eye on him. And nobody did. So he murdered someone.
1: I feel like somebody should have just like arrested his wife and the dirty cop. Maybe. i'm amazed they didn't
0: i don't know how they didn't arrest them um i i didn't look into what happened to uh the former agent who took over his empire i'd imagine he probably died quite a grisly death but yeah um, he wasn't
1: in the car with her
0: no well he didn't die he wasn't uh he wasn't mm-hmm. murdered i th- i think maybe he was in the car but he wasn't gunned down i don't know i didn't read into that part i guess i must have glossed over that because i was just like he's just shot his wife in broad daylight in front of a bunch of people who know him so yeah um i i i'd have to look into that i'd imagine that guy didn't do as well as george did
1: i'm th- okay so i wanted to go really low just like we did with uh <laughs> the prankster But then, you know, he he murdered his wife, even even though she
0: was really bad to him. Mm. Um, Don't go murdering people, folks, no no matter how bad people are for you. By all means, fuck with them in the courts, but don't murder them. Jesus. Yeah,
1: he really, really should have just, like, somehow found a way to send her to prison. I mean, he's a lawyer.
0: He's a really good lawyer, and there's plenty of evidence in his favor. Ruin her reputation and this guy's reputation in the press. Get the press in there, and make yourself out to be a hero, and you've well, got a business again. You know? And it's it's twenty seven
1: in the United States, and she's a yeah. woman. Like,
0: yeah, it's like, it's really not that hard to I ruin think a woman's at that life. Time, at it was this still
1: point rule of thumb time here. Yeah, you know, so,
0: like you are essentially still his property, sort of kind of craziness that horrible state so he could have used legal recourse to make this person's life much slowly notching his score up yeah (laughs) (laughs) instead of like gunning her down in broad daylight um so yeah (laughs) he's Uh, a he's an incredible businessman and an incredible lawyer but killed his fucking wife
1: (laughs) man and then he he was he shouldn't have done the illegal part of his oh like you, you found you loop the loophole in the
0: yeah you you've done the best you possibly can and actually you've become an entire industry in yourself you've almost monopolized the creation of specific drinks in america you've found a way to get it to people legally you're paying you're you're charging huge sums of money because it's a very limited supply and you're going to be able to continue monopolizing the market for decades to come because you're quite a young guy. Why would you fuck it up by involving like legal loopholes as well? Like that's crazy. So
1: so I think because of all of that, I'm going to have to give him an, an even 50. I'll take
0: an even 50. Yeah, for sure. Cause he's a really fascinating guy. Oh yeah. Well just, I mean, he's the great Gatsby. He is. Like, there's no there's no two ways about it. Like, this guy is the great Gatsby. And though, what I wouldn't... Because we were just talking about how we're not great in social situations. But what I wouldn't have given to be at one of those parties, just for like a couple of hours.
1: Oh, you know? well, yeah. Well, if you don't know anybody, and it's a large party, and like nobody's got a looking place for you and you don't have to talk to anybody it's yeah. it's way easier you can just slide along the wall like
0: a wallflower and- yeah yeah <laughs> you, you like gatherings but you don't like people it's, yeah. it's the line from from clerks yeah so uh, <laughs> i hate people but i love gatherings yeah. um so yeah the the parties must have been insane also i i really want to see and this is such a weird thing i want to see what a 1920s olympic-sized indoor heating swimming pool looks like i imagine that shit would have been amazing like yeah pro- in the
1: marble palace yeah
0: that's there there they're all a load of pictures i've put it on the thumbnail of of this video if you if you're all watching on youtube <coughs> check out the thumbnail um yeah and Tosoid's giving him a 61 because he was sloppy towards the end he was kind of sloppy towards the end like that shit in prison
1: kinda, yeah i, I was almost go like. i was that's like a score that i was thinking too but then i just wanted to split the middle
0: sure split the middle is totally <laughs> fine because he did like make some significant errors towards the end where if he just stayed on that path of great business he'd have been one of the most famous anti heroes I think in American history. But actually not a lot of people know about this guy, despite his incredible achievements. Um who scored the lowest on the show so far? Um who was it that we gave like a a twenty or something it to was, it was only uh, a couple of weeks ago.
1: Gosh it was the prankster Abel
0: Abel, uh, yeah, um, the gosh. the practical joker. You'll have to go back a couple of episodes. I can't remember the name of the episode off the top of my head, um, but he was like a professional prankster who kind of invented like the Sasha Baron Cohen way of like behaving. Uh, I'm just looking up here. Um, Alan Abel. It was actually, uh, yeah, season three, episode 20, the genius hoaxer. We gave him like a 20. And he, you I know, give him a one. I, oh, yeah, I did give him a one. I did give him a really low score, didn't I? <laughs> because he's just, he's a really nice guy who just lived in like really reduced means because he was dedicated to the craft of being a genius hoaxer. Whereas, um, this guy, if he had just done the loophole thing and bootlegged, I would have probably written about him anyway because I would have wanted to cover him because he's kind of a genius, but because of the murder of his wife and the criminal element that you involved in the fact that he couldn't keep his fucking mouth shut. Like that's pushed him. Yeah. Right up there for sure. I should
1: have scored him higher just because of talking to an undercover person in prison. Yeah.
0: But, I, but you know, there's a, there's a way that people can win your confidence. I think in those situations, right? So yeah. if he spent like a year with him, I oh, can yeah. understand maybe spilling your guts a little bit, you know, like, oh, this is what I plan to do. And actually, you're a good guy. Maybe you can get involved with me. And he's like, yeah, thanks. I'll see you later. Don't call your wife. Um, So, yeah, kind of of fucked up, really. But, um, yeah, I think um, I will take 50 for George Remus, the original (laughs) inspiration behind Great Gatsby. And uh, probably the most incredibly successful bootlegger and lawyer in, in American history for, for the most part. And uh, we took talking 80, did I say 86? I think so, yeah. 86 for, uh, remind me again, Romanowski, no?
1: Yep, Bill Romanowski.
0: Bill Romanowski.
1: Romo, Romo Cap.
0: Yeah, probably the dirtiest NFL player of all time. And that's saying, so there's some dirty fuckers in that league. Oh, yeah. Really dangerous players. Um, but, yeah, I, I feel that uh, both of them were huge successes in their own ways, but kind of um, if they'd been able to control themselves a little bit better, then they would have. I mean, they certainly wouldn't be on this podcast, but they certainly would have been, you know, far more successful in their own right. You know, they would have been far wealthier and left a far more interesting legacy, to be honest. I
1: think, I think. Romo uh, Romanowski might have gone on to make more money in his uh... – you know appearances in like the young the longest yard with adam sandler oh, wow. as a prison guard football player and things That's like that cameo appearances and stuff
0: yeah i i think if you can transition into a successful movie career like you know if you're a mainstream star like uh or if you're a, an athlete and you transition into that position i am struggling now maybe the rock oh. uh or well, Batista. he's good. Yeah, yeah, who've done really <laughs> well to transition into these acting roles. OJ Simpson for a while before, you know. Uh. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and the, there have been a couple of other like uh, rugby players and like basketball stars. I, I don't know if you can really call um other than Airplane, um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's acting career has kind of petered out a little bit. Shaq's done all right for himself. Yeah, George has done okay for himself, but yeah, I feel like these like mid-level athletes who like transition into successful careers afterwards—they're always people that you should kind of admire because if you can have a really high-level career and then continue that in a field that you have really trained in, other than the fact that you have a good drive, that's to be commended. So this guy's done all right for himself, despite being kind of a lunatic. So Bill Romanowski is a model for us all except <laughs> except not don't don't be that guy he's got problems um thanks thanks everyone so much for for tuning in we're really getting close to the end of the season now we're like three episodes away from the end of this season and we're going to be recording a bunch of these coming up because it's coming towards christmas and boy are we going to need a break um but yeah, if you want to follow us on social media, I didn't mention this at the start of the podcast, go to at greatest idiots on Twitter. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, go to at History's greatest idiots. And if you want to sling us some cash, like our amazing Patreons, um, Andrew Zavara, Kimberly Johnson, and Jesse Christ, go to patreon.com slash greatest idiots. And you get access to a bunch of amazing behind the scenes stuff and scripts and a gift. Which we will hopefully make sure Kimberly gets a, a decent version of or, or a different gift and uh, to make up for that terrible produced thing uh so yeah <laughs> please Ooh. please give us a follow. um I really enjoyed listening about Bill Romanowski. I kind of I have an affinity for american sports despite the fact I don't fully understand them all so
1: i i I live here and I don't fully understand a lot of them either
0: <laughs> that's true i mean i, I understand most british sports i don't fully understand cricket i'm not quite there but that's because it's stupid sport (laughs) Um, really fucking stupid although the the reason cricket works and i'm probably the same for baseball i would imagine is the atmosphere so you can do the test match thing which is like over five days five days of continuous sport or you can do the 30 30 thing which is like a full day either way basically you pay for a ticket in a very comfortable seat with access to lots of warm food, cold beers, and it's always summer and you've got a nice cover. And like, it's, that's the reason people watch cricket. It's not because, well, I mean, sure, there are cricket fanatics out there, but that's the reason most people attend cricket matches. It's the atmosphere, you know? Makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: <clears throat> I, and uh,
0: go on. I, what are you gonna say? I,
1: I don't understand cricket at all, but no. the, the way you describe it, I would, I would go to that
0: yeah and i did i went to old trafford in manchester uh, not the one that manchester united play in, the original old trafford which is a cricket ground and actually i had a really i was like a kid i was maybe like 14 15 and like you know i got myself a nice big um <laughs> a roast dinner so i got like yorkshire pudding i got beef i got gravy i got vegetables and potatoes and stuff and i i had a, a giant coke and you know i had that and was watching this happen in the background and then I went for a walk and there was like a bunch of cool like merchandise. And then I came back and I was like, I could get used to this kind of like fishing, you know, <laughs> like it's chilled out. So I kind of get that. But um, NFL it's kind of a bit of a different thing. It's like instantaneous. Oh, it's kind of sn- loud and action packed. Yeah. A lot yeah, of people attend text- those things.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's it's huge. It's yeah. huge. And people are really, really into their teams.
0: Yeah. Which is interesting because this guy was kind of a hired gun. Like, he would just go from team to team, fucking everyone up. And, like, there's no real loyalty there. But I guess, like, the fan base would have liked having a guy like that on their team because he had good numbers. But at the cool. same time, like, what's he going to do? Depends on if he was injuring players on his own team in practice in preseasons. So. I know kind of insane really um and i really enjoyed george remus thing i think it's a great story i'm really surprised it hasn't been turned into like because that's a film you can do in like 120 minutes like you don't need a long runtime for that two hours maybe like 115 minutes you can knock that whole story out really so
1: it seems like it could be a great great one yeah
0: for sure and like the, the dramatic ending like that shit was really interesting so really enjoyed george remus um and if you guys did please get in touch with us um we we really appreciate your insight and your feedback and any suggestions you might have and yeah um like i said before follow us on uh, all the social medias plus patreon also don't forget all of our shows are available on youtube Uh, or most of our shows are available on YouTube. If you want all of our shows, you have to go to Patreon. But most of our shows are available on YouTube. And uh, yeah, if you just search for History's Greatest Idiots, we are there. So you can watch all of, uh, well, most of our videos live on there with really interesting thumbnails. And thank you so much, Toasterzoid, for popping along. It's really lovely having you in the chat. And we will see you all again in a couple of weeks. Derek, would you like to say goodbye? Goodbye, everybody. And we'll see you all again soon. Take care now. Bye.